Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamat Kosandu from Toronto in Canada. Circumstances outside of our control meant apologies. No show last week. Sandu was off having a fantastic break. I was having an absolute nightmare. But we are back here now after one of the most fun fight cards of 2021 so far. UFC 266 delivered the goods. Me and Sandu are suitably recovered and ready to break it all down with you here on this week's show. Sandu, how are you, my good friend? I'm good. I'm recovered, re-energized, recharged. Had my first holiday in what feels like forever. Um, no complaints whatsoever. It was a nice time. Kept it within Canada. Went to Jasper and Banff in Alberta, which is just a beautiful part of, not just the country, but a beautiful part of the world. Uh, had a good five, five, six days there. Now I'm back and uh, raring to go. Can't wait to talk about what we saw this past weekend. Brilliant. And uh, it really was a, it was a big weekend for combat sport. We had uh, Alexander Usyk dethroning Anthony Joshua at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on uh, Saturday night, UK time. That was kind of the uh, the lead-in to, uh, to UFC 266. Um, before we do UFC 266, the Tottenham Stadium for Boxing Sandu looked incredible. Like, the staging of that event was absolutely something else um unfortunately for british fight fans joshua didn't really didn't really deliver the goods Usyk looks like the real deal though and uh we're going to see some good stuff from him moving forward i'd love to see a ufc show at tottenham Hotspur stadium one day that would be pretty special wouldn't it yes yeah, a good thing the stadium is useful for other events because it's not great at the moment for the club in terms of performances uh i'm, I'm feeling like the fans are going to really start to get on the back of the players and the manager and the executive board and the ownership group because, yeah, the performance against Arsenal on Sunday was just abysmal. Um, a lot of losses in a row. Well, I, I, think, I think I was going to mention it regardless anyway because it was a horrible <laughs> Sunday for me watching that performance. Um, but, yeah, like you said, in terms of for other events, whether it's boxing, NFL, concerts, it's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. It really is. And it was kind of cool to see they get showcased on a massive you know, platform like that worldwide such a big uh, boxing event. Unfortunate that uh, Anthony Joshua couldn't get the, the job done there. Um, all credit in the world to Usyk, who, like you said, looks like the real deal at heavyweight. A fantastic uh, boxer. Not the draw, though. You know, let's be honest. He isn't the draw on the level of a, a Wilder Fury and Joshua. And, you know, the, the, my, 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 my feeling coming out of that fight and that, you know, event was, have we lost Fury and Josh, you know, Joshua forever? You know, maybe that fight still takes place down the road, but has it lost its steam? Has it, you know, lost, you know, the the momentum it had perhaps, you know, a year ago, 18 months ago, two years ago? Should this fight have just been figured out and made when, you know, the the opportunity was nuclear hot? And, um, you know, Joshua's got the rematch clause. Let's see if you can bounce back. It ain't going to be as easy as perhaps having the rematch against Ruiz because, like you said, Simon, Usyk is the real deal. He is. And uh, I mean, you know, the cynical way of looking at this, Sandu, is that the best way to get AJ versus Fury is for Deontay Wilder to go and beat Tyson Fury in a week or two's time. And then you're probably going to have Usyk versus Wilder and you could have AJ versus Fury, but there'd be no belts on the line. So I, you're dead right. This is this is the perfect example of why you book the fights when they're there. You know, we've seen big fights fall by the wayside in the past fights that we wanted to see GSP Anderson Silva was a fight that everyone uh, who followed MMA at the time clamored for that fight never happened. Um, so 
things like that. If, if the opportunity's there, strike while you can, you know, strike while the iron's hot and uh, make the most of it because this is the fight business. Things go wrong. Things change and uh, everybody has a puncher's chance. But Usyk was just a better boxer, just a better boxer. And uh, he can do, he could beat anybody at heavyweight now. I'm convinced of that. But that was all, almost the, uh, the warm-up act. It certainly was in my house for UFC 266, which was back at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. And it was a two-title fight card. Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Brian Ortega and Valentina Shevchenko taking on Lauren Murphy. Now, those two fights on paper, good, solid fights, but not individually what you would call... Uh, must well, I, I wouldn't say not must see fights, they are must see fights, they're title fights, but they're not the absolute highest level world title fights that the UFC can serve up. Um, so they put them both on the same card. But I tell you something, that main event, Sandu, my goodness me, we're going to talk about some of the other fights on the card as well. Um, I reckon in this fight card, we probably saw the two best rounds of the year in two different fights. Um, and one of them came in that title fight. Alexander Volkanovsky defeating Brian Ortega by unanimous decision, 49-46, 50-45, and 50-44. But the scorecards only tell part of the story, don't they, Sandy? Because Volkanovsky got the first two rounds in the bank relatively straightforward, I think, as I, at least as I was scoring it. And then round three, all hell broke loose. It looked like Ortega had Volkanovski completely locked up in a guillotine choke. That looked tight. And um, somehow Volkanovski got free, but then immediately fell into T-City's signature move, the triangle choke. That looked tight as well. And again, he managed to get out of it. Almost finished him at the end of that round and then goes on. Um, in fact, I thought that fight should have been stopped at the end of that round. I'll be honest with you, because he was in such a bad way. Um the fight carried on. Ortega incredibly came back and it went the distance. But it was it was obviously uh, Volkanovski's fight. Dominant win for him. Great performance and a great, great title fight. We had the long build-up with Tough, but the fight really delivered, Sandu. One of the best title fights we've had, fights we've had so far in 2021. Yeah, for me, it's fight of the year and round of the year. Currently, the front runner. If we get anything better than both of those, uh, situations the round and the fight of the year in the next couple of months jesus christ we're going to be in for a treat because yeah like you said it delivered and i was kind of talking about this a little bit on twitter following the the joshua Usyk fight you know that in itself listen two guys in their prime fighting but in terms of you know draws and things like that and i was kind of just saying look you know most of the time you know the ufc do have the best fighting the best in their prime most of the time yes there's a few that kind of escape and get away and this was a prime example of that you know and those two guys delivered. They really did. And it was submission attempt after submission attempt in that third round. And I think the fact that it wasn't the third round where perhaps Ortega, his energy meter was a little bit lower. The fact that, you know, they, they were kind of, you know, sweaty and there was a bit of blood and a little bit slippery, things like that. If that happens in the first round, when they're dry and fresh and Ortega's got all the energy in the world, perhaps this is going to give us a different outcome. Uh, the fact that you know it took place in the third round, as entertaining and as much of a you know a roller coaster ride as it was of a round, um, I think that kind of you know helped Volkanovski a little bit. But all credit to him. I mean, to escape all of those submission attempts, my word, that took some serious guts and determination. And I think now finally he should be getting the respect that he deserves. The resume he's put together, 
the the wins he has, the title defenses. It's insane. He's a credit to Australian MMA. He's put that country on the map big time uh, at the moment by being, you know, the champion that he is. And yeah, I can't wait to see him hopefully now fight a little bit more consistently um, because it's been a while since we last saw him fight. And Ortega, I feel like, is in a tough situation now because that's two, that's two situations, Simon. Max Holloway in Toronto and now Volkanovski in Las Vegas. It kind of feels like he's kind of like the bridesmaid, never the bride. And it's just unfortunate that he's in a division that has perhaps two of the best featherweights of all time in, in Holloway and Volkanovski. Yeah, and you mentioned Volkanovski repping Australia and he really has picked up where Robert Whittaker kind of left off. You know, there, there was a, a hole there for, for an Aussie to step in and, and, and pick up that mantle. Volkanovski's done that and he's a legit champion. I love his personality. I know that he might not be the biggest star yet, but that performance, you can't deny a performance like that. And something really interesting to watch out for. He, I think he mentioned it in the post-fight press conference. He's considering the possibility of hanging around in the States rather than going home. The quarantine rules in Australia and New Zealand are pretty stringent. Um, and it's it's quite a it's quite an upheaval to get from down under over to the States and visas and travel and all that sort of stuff. It's tricky. And there's so much so that I think the city kickboxing team as a collective, um, I read somewhere, it might even have been submission radio, um, where they, they're talking about potentially moving the operation from Auckland over to the States just so that everybody is in prime position to take advantage of the fight opportunities when they come, because it's not just about being ready. It's about being able to get to the actual venue, you know? So that'll be interesting to see, but Volkanovsky absolutely outstanding. And uh, whether he fights soon or whether he fights a little bit later, I don't know, but surely now Sandu, the time has come to start looking at that Max Holloway trilogy fight, assuming Holloway, gets past Yair Rodriguez and uh, makes it through a fight that I think most people will be picking him to win, but it's a dangerous fight nonetheless. If Holloway could get past Yair Rodriguez, it could be time for the trilogy fight, which bizarrely, normally trilogy fights are one and one. It's actually 2-0 two, two to Volkanovski, but there was a bit of controversy over that second fight. I scored it for Holloway. I think you said you might have scored it for Holloway as well. The judges scored it for the champ. So uh, we could see a third fight later in the year. But yeah, Volkanovski, you know, anybody had any doubts about the man before the weekend? Those doubts must be gone now, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I feel like he's now finally getting the respect that he deserves. And it wasn't his fault that the judges scored it in his favour. He's there to, to, to put on a performance, do the best he can and hopefully get the result. And he got the result. And Max Holloway's going to fight Yaya Rodriguez. I was I thought it was a little bit funny that that fight got announced literally what a day or so before uh, the pay per view. Can't you just wait a couple of days? Let's see how things pan out in the fight, and then maybe go in a different direction. It is what it is. Look, Max Holloway's done his job right. He had a, a fantastic performance, arguably the, maybe the best performance of his career against Calvin Cater earlier in this year. And if he parlays that with a, a victory over. Yaya Rodriguez, who hasn't really been that active for quite some time now, but on his day can be such a dangerous fighter. Get that win, and then I think everybody would be absolutely open to seeing a third fight between him and Volkanovski. Speaking of third fight, Sandu, Valentina Shevchenko defended a women's flyweight title, as expected on uh, Saturday night, defeating Lauren Murphy uh, by fourth round TKO. Murphy doing well to make it through to the fourth round, but really barely getting a glove 
on Shevchenko over the course of the fights. You basically said as much in an Instagram statement um, earlier at the weekend. I think it was like Sunday afternoon. I think she posted it, basically saying I couldn't, I couldn't get to her. She was just too good. Um, but Valentina Shevchenko has basically cleaned out the UFC women's flyweight division. There, I don't know if there's anybody left at this point, and I think the time is now to start talking about the Amanda Nunes fight again because we've seen two, and again, like Volkanovski. Amanda Nunes has two wins over Valentina Shevchenko, just like Volkanovski has two wins over, over Max Holloway. But again, there's controversy. People think, including me, that Shevchenko won one of those fights. And I think we're in a situation now. Valentina Shevchenko, statistically, is the most dominant champion, active female champion in the UFC. She's more dominant than uh, Amanda Nunes in terms of title defenses. She equaled Ronda Rousey's all-time record of six title defenses from a female fighter in the UFC. So the stats don't lie. She's a technical genius when it comes to mixed martial arts. There is nothing this woman can't do, um, including giving interviews in about 42 different languages, which was incredible. I think we had English, we might have had Spanish, uh, and we definitely had some Thai at the end. So she did, you know, the woman can do it all. She can absolutely do it all. Uh, she's pretty handy with a pistol as well, uh, hence the nickname. And uh, But yeah, I think the time might be right to start building up to that Amanda Nunes rematch. Is there anything else left for Valentina Shevchenko at 125 or do we need to move her up? Even if there is, there's such a disparity between her skill set and what she's bringing to the table compared to the rest of the division. It's tough, right? It's a, it's a it's hard to build contenders for her at flyweight. I feel like maybe from a British perspective, Joanne Calderwood, Alexa Grasso, that's a fight coming up. If Calderwood can get past Grasso, you know, why not just chuck her in there with uh, with Shevchenko? Either way, really, maybe we can have Grasso in there as well with her. Um, that's one option, potentially. But yeah, I feel like, you know, everybody is ready to see her fight Amanda Nunes one more time uh, and see if she can get it done at Bantamweight. Why not? And I feel like if it's not going to be next, maybe she hangs around for one more title defense at flyweight. Like you said, the Ronda Rousey record, she's equaled it. Uh, maybe she can break that, and that'll be another uh, thing to add to the resume before heading into another bout with Amanda Nunes. But right now, Valentina Shevchenko is absolutely untouchable at 125 pounds, and it's just going to be a question of you know, the, the, the competitive nature in her to want to go up again in weight and, and challenge Amanda Nunes, who, let's face it, is also super, super dominant, you know, at 135 and 145. So, yeah, I'm all for it. I think everybody's ready for it again, and why not? You know, these two obviously are so dominant in respective weight classes. One more time, let's let's do it, and, and let's see if uh, Shevchenko can kind of get over that hump. Yeah, Shevchenko absolutely in a class of her own at 125 pounds. Let's see her at 135 and do that, Amanda Nunes. A trilogy fight. Why the hell not? Now, we had two five-round world title fights at the top of the card, Sandu, but we had a bonus five-round fight at middleweight. It wasn't going to be middleweight. It was going to be welterweight, but a little bit of jiggery-pokery during, uh, during fight week, and it ended up Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz, the returning Nick Diaz, in a rematch 17 years after the original bout at UFC 47. And I had relatively low expectations for this fight, Sandu, I'll be honest with you, because how good can you look when you're coming back after five or six years away from any kind of competition um, to fight in the UFC against an active fighter? All right, a guy who is on a, on a losing streak. I think Lawler had lost his last four heading into this one. But nonetheless, a former world champion who is still in competitive fights against world-class opposition, 
And from what we saw from Nick Diaz and what we'd heard from Nick Diaz leading up to the fight, I'll be honest, I was a bit worried. But Nick Diaz actually turned up and turned it into a bit of a tear-up. Um, he didn't look like fully uh, the Nick Diaz that we've seen in years past. But there was enough in there to make that fight a really entertaining one for as long as it lasted. By the time we got to the end of a crazy first round, I was like, okay, this fight has kind of exceeded my expectations already. Anything we get from here is a bonus. And uh, But Robbie Lawler would just proved a little bit too relentless, a little bit too powerful, and uh, eventually dropped Nick Diaz, who opted not to get up. Um, Lawler asked him to get up. The referee said, do you want to carry on? And Diaz was like, no, I'm done. Um, absolutely no shame in that. And uh, it was a third round TKO finish for Robbie Lawler, who gets revenge for the knockout, the check hook knockout at the hands of Nick Diaz in their first fight. And it was a check hook that did the job in the rematch. So a nice little bit of symmetry there. I don't know what we do with Nick Diaz next. Is that one and done for him or whether he goes on and takes on someone else? The obvious fight would have been Carlos Condit, but he's just retired. So I really don't know quite what, what happens with Nick Diaz next in terms of appearances in the octagon. Robbie Lawler gets a win. Hopefully the fact that he, he did the UFC and Nick Diaz are solid by agreeing at very late notice to move up to middleweight to keep the fight alive. Hopefully that means that his stay with the UFC can carry on for another couple of fights and uh, we get to see uh, ruthless Robbie Lawler a couple more times in the cage before he eventually waves goodbye to the Octagon as well. But that was a pleasant a pleasant surprise for me, Sandu. I wasn't, as I say, expectations were pretty low going in. But it turned out to be a, a bit of a a bit of a barnstormer for as long as it lasted. I had a different um, feeling, to be honest with you. I um, was feeling quite down and depressed after the end of that bout, and it was purely because of just seeing Nick Diaz in that state. Yes, I think both him and Robbie and what they did in that you know first round kind of exceeded expectations, but it still didn't. Um, disguise the fact that this was an out-of-shape Nick Diaz. We've seen him in way, way better shape. It felt like um, some of the punches he was landing was you know, a little bit lethargic. And honestly, I was happy with the matchmaking here because I can only imagine if they'd put him up with you know, a 20-something you know, welterweight or midweight who was just fresh, energetic, in their prime, just, just destroying Nick Diaz. That would have been even more depressing uh, yeah. If I'm being honest with you, the fact that it was against one of his peers, Robbie Lawler, who himself is past his prime. He isn't championship level, elite level Robbie Lawler anymore. He's coming off X number of losses as well. So I think that was the saving grace of this situation. The fact that Nick Diaz just didn't even want to get up, you know, after, you know, getting blasted in the face, maybe a broken nose or something you know, that just tells you everything. And obviously the pre-fight comments, the, the post-fight interview, him just kind of asking, you know, how did the, how this fight got put together and, you know, who knows what happened and what went on behind the scenes from a political standpoint between him, his management, the UFC, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's just, this is what you fear. This is what you fear. You know, the heroes um, of, the, of the fight game in their prime that kind of draw in the, the masses, draw in the audience, the, the figures that we love to cover, Seeing them still compete, we saw about what happened to Evander Holyfield just a couple of weeks ago. You know, seeing these guys compete well past their prime after taking such a long layoff, um, who knows if it's you know inspired by competitiveness, if it's you know because they need the money, it's it's uh, it's it sucks. It sucks. It's a it's a bitter bitter pill to swallow. The atmosphere was completely flat after this fight ended. 
because obviously there was a massive Diaz contingent in the crowd. A lot of, uh, you know, his fans, he is obviously a fan favorite. And, um, and like I said, I feel like this was probably the best way this fight could have ended because although he took some damage, it could have been a lot worse had it been somebody else other than Robbie Lawler in that situation. Um, so yeah, a bit bummed about it. I hope I don't see him fight again, if I'm being honest with you. It's, um, you know, you can't really get up for it because you can just tell from his demeanor, he's not interested. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I'm kind of glad that the fight card kind of continued into the two title fights and we were able to leave on a bit of a high note, especially with that main event. But this middle portion of the main card was, uh, yeah, had me down in the dumps, if I'm being honest. It was it was strange because Nick Diaz announcing that he's coming back is a lot of a lot of hype and expectation. And one of the reasons I had low expectations is because you can't just waltz back in after being away for that long and 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 just be competitive instantly. And and going in there against a Robbie Lauder whose form has, has not been good. The matchmaking, as you say, was spot on. And I don't know if there is another viable fight for him anyway after that. I think Lawler was the fight. The only, the only other one that I could think of was Condit because it's a rematch again. They've been around the block a long time. Condit also not not at his, his fight in prime either. But most of the other guys who would have been in that sort of category have kind of all gone. They've all kind of left the sport or certainly left the, the big stage. So it's difficult. And when you hear the things that Diaz has been say, uh, was saying, some leading in and certainly some of the stuff he said afterwards, it makes you wonder whether he ever actually wanted to get in there and fight in the first place. That's the biggest concern. Um, talking about how the fight ever got made and there being a change up in his management and almost like stuff was happening outside of his control, which if you're the guy going in there and putting your health on the line to compete, there, certain things need to be in your control, including the decision to fight. So that's the one that had me a little bit, a little bit confused afterwards. Did he fight because he wanted to fight or did he fight because he was sort of coerced into it or convinced to do it or he felt he had to do it? I don't know. But whatever it was, he went in there and he competed and he did he did his best under the circumstances. There were flashes. You know, the way he was throwing his shots at times was reminiscent of the old Diaz. A lot of arm punches, which he likes to do. And then he used to throw in the odd, the odd stiff punch, which would be the one that catches you. And he, he sort of tried that a little bit on, on Lawler and just, you know, there wasn't anything there. Um, and as you say, you know, the ending was kind of a bit of a merciful finish really by the end. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what, what's going to happen with Nick Diaz next. If he doesn't want to fight, I don't want to see him in a cage. Let's put it like that. And if he does want to fight, they've got to really choose carefully when it comes to his next opponent. So we shall see what happens. But that was obviously one of the big stories going in. Just to round out the main card, Sandy, Curtis Blades defeating Jazino Rosenstruck. Not the most exciting fight of the night. The crowd certainly weren't into it. It was a shutout win for Curtis Blades. Jessica Andrade, uh, TKO in Cynthia Calvillo. She looks like she's ready to contend for a title again, whether it be at flyweight or whether it be at her natural weight of 115 pounds at straw weight. But the one fight, I, well, the two fights on the prelims I wanted to very quickly talk about, Sandy. The first one, I talked about it being two of the craziest rounds we've seen so far this year. The other one was the first round of the feature prelim between Mirab Dvalishvili and Marlon Marais. This looked, if you just turned on the TV halfway through the first round, you think, my God, this fight is not going to last long. Marlon Marais had Dvalishvili in all sorts of trouble and looked 
probably sort of one or two clean punches away from finishing him. Somehow, Dvalishvili weathers the storm, comes back, finishes the round in incredible fashion, and then stops Marlon Marais in the second round after some some high-energy corner work from, <laughs> from the Serra Longo combination, Matt Serra and Ray Longo, um, and a very animated Mirab Dvalishvili in a corner. Really great comeback win. One of the most entertaining fights we've seen so far this year. Another crazy round, Sandu. That one was a cracker. Listen, if Brian Ortega and Alexander Volkanovski doesn't do what they did in that third round, then Mirab and Marlon would have a, a pretty good, you know, I guess, case to lock up the, the round of the year because that was as action-packed as it was. In fact, I think I remember tweeting round of the years locked after seeing what they did. And it's incredible. How does this happen? It was incredible that literally a few fights later down the card, the main event just kind of outstrips that, like within literally hours. It's insane. But that's why this was a a very memorable card. It was action-packed and all credit in the world to these guys. And I'll tell you what, Simon, Mirav is going to be one of those guys that's going to be really avoided by the majority of the decision. All the credit in the world to Marlon Marais uh, for stepping up, but my goodness, Mirab looks like you know he's got everything there to become a champion. His teammate right now is a champion, and obviously that fight has now fallen through because he hasn't uh, been able to recover from his his neck surgery. We're talking about Aljamain Sterling, of course. So we'll see what happens with Peter Yan. And you know, if he gets matched up with somebody else and if he stays in that card in Abu Dhabi, et cetera, et cetera. But right now, Marab is going to be climbing the ranks. He's going to be a fire. Everybody is going to be starting to pay a little bit more attention to. And like I said, uh, Simon, I feel like he's got championship uh, material in, his, in the locker. He really has. And he's got a great personality about him as well. You can't help but kind of root for the guy. You see the way he goes about his business. He went into the weekend ranked 11th in that UFC 135-pound division. Marlon Marais listed sixth. So what normally happens in these situations, Dvalishvili will take Marais' ranking and Marais will drop down the list a little bit. So that being the case, he's looking at top five opposition next. Jose Aldo's at five. Rob Fonts at four. San Hagen's at three. Dillashaw's at two. Peter Yan is at number one. And of course, uh, Dvalishvili's teammate, training partner and friend, Aljamain Sterling, is holding the belt at the top of that division. Such a fun division, Bantamweight. We talk about it all the time, what a cracking division it is. And uh, we have a new contender. We have a new contender. And the problem now is, who does he fight? Is it Rob Font? Is it Jose Aldo? Is it Corey Sanhagen? None of those guys are going to want to fight Dvalishvili because that means they're fighting down the rankings to take him on. So there's very little upside in terms of facing him. TJ Dillashaw, maybe? TJ Dillashaw's looking for an opponent? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a fight. Or, who knows, maybe Dvalishvili can step in for his teammate and take on PDN. That would be absolutely crazy. So, I don't know. I mean, who knows how that's all going to pan out. But the division is absolutely stacked. However you match make that division, you're going to get absolutely brilliant matchups. And Dvalishvili deserves a big one next time out. And the only other fight I wanted to talk to you about, Sandu, was MMA is a sport that is all about overcoming adversity, isn't it? You know, just the training camp, the just getting to that sort of level to fight at world championship level or world stage level with the UFC. It takes a lifetime of uh, dedication and blood, sweat and tears and all the rest of it. Dan Hooker and Nazrat Hakpares both had really difficult journeys to even get to the arena 
on Saturday night. Hack Parast had some had some uh, family family problems back home. I think there was a family bereavement. Plus, he had problems getting a visa to get in. Dan Hooker also had problems getting a visa to get in. Uh, thankfully, both men were able to make it with like a day to spare before the weigh-ins. Both of them, true pros, hit weight. And then on fight night, they delivered an entertaining fight, which Dan Hooker took by unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, 30-26. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to give both of those guys a shout because they deserve they they deserved every cent of their fight purse this weekend. Um, and you know, you know, we sometimes hear about these little sort of almost under the table locker room bonuses that don't really get reported. It'd be nice to think that the UFC gave both guys a little bit of a bump on, on, on their pay packet for this past weekend because they both really went above and beyond to make it to the octagon on fight night. Yeah, and credit to Dan Hooker for accepting the fight because Hack Paras, as good as he is, is unranked. You know, yep. And Hooker's a, a perennial top 10 contender right now. And how many guys with a num- number next to their name take fights against unranked opponents? It doesn't happen that often. They're usually looking forward. Um, so the fact that you know he had to take on this fight, it kept him busy, gave him another paycheck, and hopefully he's not in a situation moving forward where he has to, you know, take the burden of some of the sacrifices that he's had to take in order to compete and fight. And look, uh, it's been in the new cycle. Let's see if City Kickboxing do in fact relocate um, to some part of the US, whether it's California, Nevada, or Florida, or somewhere else. That would be an unbelievable move and story if that actually happens. Um, but they're in a situation in New Zealand right now where it's incredibly difficult and challenging to train, um, to put in the work, put in camps and get ready for fights and then even to travel uh, for a particular fight. And these guys are in their prime. You've got Volkanovski and Adesanya champions. This is how they make the, the, the vast majority of their money competing on pay-per-views and getting pay-per-view points, et cetera, et cetera. So I can't blame them if they do it. Hopefully the New Zealand government figure this out um, and give these guys some special dispensation um, because, look, they're putting New Zealand on the map in the, in the world of mixed martial arts. And it, you can't say New Zealand has too many, I guess, you know, sports teams that are on fire you know when i think of new zealand i think of a cricket team i think of rugby team and then when it comes to other sports i'm at a loss outside of mixed martial arts uh, which obviously the the rare case here where it's an individual sport and you've got a plethora of their fighters are constantly competing on ufc cards and they're ranked or they're champions they're main eventers they're part of main cards like why wouldn't you, as a New Zealand government, want to support that in any way, shape, or form you can, knowing that once restrictions are all lifted, the UFC should be coming to New Zealand and putting on arena or stadium shows there with you know some of these guys, in fact, all of them, as a showcase, like we've seen in the UK and, and in Ireland and in Brazil and, and Canada and other parts of the world. So it's a real shame to see, to see how they've been treated and the current policies in place in New Zealand, and I'm hoping for the best and hoping um, they can get it figured out. If not, that is a big, big story to follow to see if City Kickboxing do, in fact, relocate to the US. Yeah, yeah, it was it was almost like a, a secondary line, that that story, but it leapt off the page for me. It's like, wow, that is that's a major undertaking. So, yeah, keep watching the, uh, watching the skies for that one. But UFC 266, Sandu, great event, really good event. 
UFC back in Las Vegas, international fight week it was this past week. Um, absolutely gutting to to not be able to get over there for it. I love international fight week. We had the Hall of Fame during the week as well. GSP being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, uh, richly deserved, of course. But always a big week, bit delayed. Normally it's July each year, but it was held September this year. The event delivered the goods and uh, it's onwards and upwards for the UFC as they're experiencing what they predicted would be the biggest year in the promotion's history. It's also, Sandu, turning into a pretty big year for Bellator. They've come out of the pandemic and they've hosted a whole a whole raft of shows. They're being pretty prolific with their events and they're delivering big fights. We've seen the Featherweight Grand Prix come to a conclusion and the crowning of a real superstar in AJ McKee who uh, defeated Patricio Pitbull. Now what we're looking at this coming weekend here, and I'm delighted to say this, in London, in England, Bellator 267 is happening. The UFC opted not to bring their show to London uh, for, for a number of reasons, from a probably from a logistical standpoint. Bellator have kept steady with the fact they're going to hold this show. The Wem- Wembley Arena, or the SSE Arena as, it, as it's known, will play host to Michael Venom Page, Douglas Lima 2, the rematch. The only man to defeat Michael Venom Page is Douglas Lima, that famous knockout where he, he caught him with a, a low kick and as he was getting back up, caught him with an absolute peach of an uppercut. One in a million uppercut. You have to land that spot on to get the result that he got. And uh, Michael Venom Page is now 19 and Douglas Lima on his record. So we've got the rematch. And today, Sandu... I ventured out of my house, got on a train for the very first time in two years and went to London for the first time in two years for a very special media uh, appearance by both guys. They, uh, they Bellator hired out a London bus, one of the big red double-decker buses, plastered with MVP Lima 2 uh, advertising down the sides, the, the board on the front, was rotating through the fact it was MVP Lima and the fact that it's at Wembley Arena and all this sort of stuff. And uh, myself and and uh, Abby Saban, our good friend, went there and had a conversation with Douglas Lima on the top deck of the bus, MVP on the bottom deck of the bus. And uh, we did a little tour around London, went to the Millennium Bridge for a, a face-off and a photo shoot, then went to the London Eye for another face-off and a photo shoot. Great day, and I'm absolutely buzzing. You know, I didn't realise how much I needed to be at an event because uh, it's been so long since we've been at one. And just to get up to London and, and do what, what we did today, which was basically to do two interviews and sit on a bus for an hour. But even that has got me absolutely buzzing. I feel like the shackles are off. We've got media day on Wednesday. Um, and then we've got the Wayne's Thursday fight night on Friday night, which you'll be able to get on Showtime in the States, uh, YouTube in Canada, and BBC iPlayer here in the UK. I'm absolutely buzzing. Uh, I'll be covering it for MMA Junkie and BBC on Fight Night. And uh, the Fight Week coverage will be on MMA Junkie during the week. So, yeah, incredible stuff. And I'm just delighted to be back on the road. And it's so good to have live MMA back in the UK. Same weekend, Sandu, Cage Warriors are holding a trilogy. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night from New York Hall. So if you've got Fight Pass, get all over that as well. So many good fights in London this weekend. It's going to be great. 
Yeah, listen, I saw the images come out of the media event today in London. And, uh, you know, it, I think because I haven't seen too much buzz, because UFC haven't been over, Bellator haven't been over, to see Bellator in London, I was like, man, I miss that. I miss being in London. Like, it really made me miss London. It really did for the first time in quite some time. I'm not going to lie. Seeing the, the images of both Lima and, and Michael Venom Page, you know, and got, you know, um, uh, the, the the Millennium Wheel in, in the background. You've got all these other landmarks of London in the background. You've got the the, the, the infamous double decker bus. You know, I've you know I've spent my entire life taking those buses, and yeah, that kind of um, really warmed my heart when I saw those images come out this morning. Very happy for you and everybody else that was able to attend. And obviously, you know, it's been a while, like you said, two years. And you know, rust can build up. Rust is a real thing. You need the reps. You need the, uh, the 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 practice. And so, hopefully, this week is is good for you and the rest of the media there. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the fight more than anything else, Simon, because it's a big one. It's an important one. I'd say more so for for Michael Venom Page here, because I think everyone's been covering his career, talking about his career, and talking about his level of competition. And then you look at the loss, it's against a former Bellator champion. It's, you know, uh, it was a devastating KO. It's a, it's a fight that Michael Venom Page has wanted to, to get back for, for quite some time. He's done his job and there's no knock on him. Matchmakers, Bellator, they usually decide, you know, who he's going to be fighting and who his uh, opponents are going to be. But if you remember, he was actually winning the fight against Lima. So anyone that doesn't think he's on that elite level, just go back and watch that fight. Um, before that, you know, knockout happened, Michael Van Page was doing really, really well for himself. The fact that this is in London, he's going to have the hometown support. He beats Douglas Lima in this rematch, Simon. Michael Van Page should be fighting for the title next. And I'm sure, I'm confident that Bellator would actually uh, put him in that situation because they know that a, a, a championship belt on the shoulder of Michael Van Page he is so marketable, you know, and, we, you know, British champions, both in Bellator and UFC, don't grow on trees. Um, so it would be it'd be quite nice to actually talk about uh, a British champion in one of the major promotions once again. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Friday night, I cannot wait. And I'm absolutely buzzing for you and everybody else that's going to get a chance to cover it back back home in London. Yeah, it, I, I actually think this fight is almost equally important to both men. I've, I've spoken to Douglas Lima. He's desperate to get back in the win column. He's lost two straight. Lost to Gegard Masasi when they, he challenged for the, the vacant middleweight belt. He moved up and challenged for that unsuccessfully. He then got beat by Yaroslav Amosov in a fight that he really did not enjoy his performance in that fight. He said he just did not fight back enough on the ground, did not get up off his back as well as he should have done. He's got a lot of, uh, a lot of wrongs to put right. Um, when he gets back in there with MVP, obviously a completely different opponent to Amosov, who is a an out-and-out grappler, and uh, MVP is an out-and-out striker. But he's got a lot on the on the line going into this as well as Douglas Lima. So um, both of them have a real narrative going into this fight. Both of them getting on really well on the bus. Real, loads of respect. They were just sort of chatting socially uh, during it. There was no frostiness, no uh, weird tension between them. And uh, just two two top professionals, you know, just going about their business and uh, doing all their promotional obligations. And, uh, yeah, both a pleasure to deal with and really good fun to chat to. So uh, the interviews will be uh, up on MMA Junkie uh, probably by the time this podcast, yeah, maybe by the time this podcast comes out. If not, they'll be uh, they'll be live middle of the day on, on Tuesday, I would imagine. So 
look out for them. But yeah, big fight on uh, on Friday night. And we've also got a pretty big fight on Saturday night, Sandu. The UFC are back at the UFC Apex for a fight night card. And it's a big fight in the UFC light heavyweight division. Former title challenger Tiago Santos taking on the mercurial, unpredictable wild man, Johnny Walker. And this is a big, big fight for Johnny Walker. This is his chance to really gate crash the title pitcher at 205 pounds. Tiago Santos has been there or thereabouts for a few years now. He's probably just dropped off the very, very top level. He knows he needs to get a big win to make sure that he can start targeting the uh, the very, very top guys again. Johnny Walker knows if he beats Tiago, then he's right in the mix himself. So this is a big one, Sandu, on Saturday night. The card, it's one of those sneaky fight cards where you take a look at it. There's some decent fights on there, but it really is all about that main event, which is going to catapult one of them back into a fight with top three opposition, I would imagine, next time out. Yeah, Thiago Santos was on a great run and they actually earned him a title shot against John Jones. He loses that via split decision and I think yeah. a lot of people perhaps scored it for him. But then since then, Simon, loses to Glover Teixeira, loses to Alexander Rakic. So, you know, you're talking about losing to Glover, who's fighting for the title next, and then losing to Rakic, who, you know, seems to be someone that it will be fighting for a title at some point in the near future. Still, though, Three losses on the trot, never a good thing. And he is 37 years of age. And Johnny Walker, Simon, you know, he's so freaking unpredictable. You just don't know what you're going to get with this guy. You really don't. You know, he's coming off a, a win against Ryan Spann, which is good that he got back in the win column because prior to that, he had lost two back-to-back, uh, Corey Anderson and Nikita Krylov. But prior to that, it was just knockout after knockout after knockout. But he's just so damn unpredictable in the cage in terms of his fighting style. You don't know what he's going to do and... Um, it's just such a hard one to call. It really is. He's, he's, he's a very interesting character. He really is. Um, but it's a fascinating matchup. And look, light heavyweight, we've spoken about this at nauseam. It's very easy for anyone in the top 10, top 15, string a couple of wins together, be a bit of a character, have some charisma, have a bit of personality. Think about what you're going to say in these interviews, whether it's pre-fight or post-fight. And all of a sudden, you could be on the fast track to a title shot. That is the state of affairs at 205 pounds. So let's see if either of these guys can you know, get that, you know, win for, you know, for, um, for Walker, it will be some momentum in terms of getting a few wins back to back, but more importantly for Santos, it will just be trying to get back in the win column. Cause I feel like if he loses this one to Walker, who knows, you know, at 37, does he stick around? Does the UFC keep him? I don't know. That'll be four losses in a row. Um, so yeah, an important one. Um, you know, overall, some interesting fights on the card. Um, but for me, if you're just asking me, hey, what's the the fight you're looking forward to, regardless of promotion uh, this weekend? Uh, it is uh, Douglas Lima versus Michael Van Page Two. I think Bellator for me have the most interesting fight this weekend. Yeah, I would agree with that. And just going back to your little list of criteria about what you need to do to become a a top contender in the UFC light heavyweight division. I would add to that list, don't dislocate your shoulder while doing the worm after getting a win. That would be good as well. Johnny Walker, uh, we talk about unpredictability. To win a fight by, I think it was a flying knee knockout, if I remember rightly, then pops his shoulder out doing the worm uh, in celebration. So uh, I think win the fight by all means, Johnny, but just don't bust out the uh, the dangerous dance moves if you get that win against uh, Macheta, Tiago Santos at the weekend. 
That, I think, Sandu, is probably everything we have on the slate for this week on the show. How can everyone get in touch with us? How can everyone make sure they get the show every week? And how can they support us moving forward? Lots, very, very simple stuff, though. Yeah, the BritPackMMA.com is the best place to go to. That's our website. From there, you can find us on social media, both the, the BritPack Twitter handle, Simon's handles on social media, my handles on social media. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, the best thing you can do to support us and support the show is literally take out 30 seconds of your time, rate and review us. I say it every week. I'm sure other podcasters and shows say the same thing, but that is honestly the best way audiences can help support their favorite podcasts, help support their favorite shows. Because when you rate and review a podcast on the Apple podcast uh, platform, it actually helps um, us and the show on the algorithm get promoted and it helps us get found by potential new listeners. So if you can do that, that would be much appreciated. Great stuff. And uh, yeah, fun weekend. We've got Cage Warriors on Thursday night, Friday night and Saturday night. We've got Bellator on Friday night with MVP versus Douglas Lima 2. And then we've got the UFC at back at the Apex on Saturday night with Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Plenty to get stuck into in the, uh, the days ahead. Enjoy the fights and we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Yeah.